Good morning, guys. Good morning. Um, I want to invite whoever is bold enough to move up closer to come on up. No, no pressure, though. You don't have to. But there's a large amount of open seats up closer if you want to come up here. Or not. Um, <laughs> Uh, so hi, if, if I've not met you before, hello. Um, my name is Tom and I'm married to Jess. We've got four kids and one dog named Virginia. Um, the jury is extremely out on the dog. Um, but the kids were pretty happy with, if, if you want to buy a dog, come find me after the service. So can you turn my, this is super hot, turn that down a bit. Thanks, Nate. Uh, I remember hearing a story of a group of missionaries in Africa. Uh, these missionaries would have been somewhere between 18 to 25 from all over the world, and they would have just gone through three months of like intense training and learning about the good news of Jesus. And so these people, full of joy and passion, just getting their adult lives started in this new and foreign land, are ready to set out to share the good news of Jesus. Yeah. And so this people, this group of young people loads up into a van, and steps out on mission for the first time, and they never come back. Their bus flipped, and they all died. God, where were you? Uh, we were standing near our cars, and it was starting to get colder, and all of our kids were checking out the ice forming on the creek nearby. And I listened as my, fr my friends shared that they had had another miscarriage. Another miscarriage. She explained that her mis miscarriages have always been incredibly emotionally and physically taxing, but with tears in her eyes and mascara beginning to run, she went on to tell me how this one felt different. She had really trusted God this time, believed God, prayed for that baby. God, where were you? We were watching a movie in our living room. It wasn't a good one for the record. Um, I remember I was on our couch under the new window snuggling with Juby, our youngest daughter. And I had my phone off today because it was our Sabbath, so I tried my best to just focus on my wife and kids. And that's why Jess was the first to hear. Uh, we had paused the movie for a bathroom break for the kids, and that's when she checked her phone. And she looked at me in shock, tears in her eyes, and said, Cubby, I am so sorry. She handed me her phone, and I went on to read a text from my dad explaining that my mom was dead, killed in a car crash. She was on her way to pick up my sister-in-law's wedding shower gift a stand-up mixer, the one from their registry. God, where were you? I'm sure that you could insert your own stories with a similar arc, your own stories of pain and suffering with no storybook ending. Maybe it's a crippling guilt summed up with something like, why them and not me? A conversation you never got to have, a rejection that left you spinning, a baby you never got to hold, an innocent stolen from you. Maybe a betrayal by a best friend or a cancer diagnosis. Maybe this morning, you're mid-chapter in one. And instead of happily ever after, you're left with more questions than answers. An ache that will not go away. Unexpected tears in unexpected places. Crippling doubt hidden behind regular church attendance. A shameful anger that you try and just bury deep down inside you. Or maybe you're minding the right Christian platitudes. He causes all things to work together for the good. He's got the whole world in his hands. But does he? Maybe it's just me, but suffering seems to be nipping at our heels. 
coming at us from every imaginable angle. You see, if you live long enough, you will suffer. Everyone you know will die. Some of us will get cancer. Some will be bereaved. Some will lose our memories. Some will lose our faith. And the truth is that no amount of church gatherings, spiritual disciplines, quoting C.S. Lewis, Beth Moore Bible studies, prayer walks, or even Maverick City music playlists can keep us from the experience of suffering. And some of you may be wondering, dude, what is up with the super intense intro? (laughs) And I would just like to say, can we just be honest? Life is really, 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 really hard sometimes. Suffering, pain, grief, loss, these are all a part of our existence. And the longer I live and the more time I spend trying to avoid and rationalize and theorize and anesthetize and control the story, the more I realize their inevitability. And this brings us to arguably the most unpopular promise of God and the topic of our discussion today. To quote Jesus from the Gospel of John, you will have suffering in this world. There it is. You will have suffering in this world. And to be clear, this is more than Jesus giving us a heads up about the cottage traffic going north on the 400 on Fridays. Or, hey, look out for the teenage years with your kids. Or, don't forget when that free trial expires, they'll charge your card without notifying you. No. Jesus' words invite us to stare reality in the face. To see it for what it is. He's giving us yet another chance to glimpse what story our lives are unfolding within To put Jesus' words into context, he's sharing a last meal with his disciples before being arrested by the Romans. He's given them some final instructions before he goes to accomplish the will of God, which is to redeem all creation through his life, death, and resurrection. To wade into the very deepest depths of human suffering himself. So in an upper room around a shared meal, he brings them close and he says to them, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. His words are tied and tethered to the whole biblical story. The story of redemption of which Jesus is the hero and into which you and I are invited to participate in as we trust in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf to reconcile both heaven and earth and God and man. This story ends with communion, a new heaven and a new earth, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. But for now, we sit with this promise. You will have suffering in this world. The question of suffering is not a uniquely Christian question. It is a human question, which means Hindus and Varanasi have to face it. Atheists and Reykjavik have to face it. Spiritual but not religious people in Montreal have to face it. Buddhists in Bangkok have to face it. This means that every one of us in this room, wherever we find ourselves in regards to Jesus of Nazareth, have some vested interest in an answer. You could be here as an atheist, an agnostic, a skeptic, or maybe you can't remember a time when you did not know Jesus. We all still have to face the question, God, where are you in the midst of human suffering? This is obviously a pretty big topic, so let's pray. And would you pray for me and with me um, this morning as we hop into this? So this is bow our heads. God, we acknowledge your presence here with us this morning as we've been singing about and thinking about. And we ask that you would draw near to us, God, as we uh, respond and try to think through and um, live with this promise of suffering. Jesus, we are grateful for the hope that we have in you. 
And I just ask that as we open this up together today, we wouldn't rush through it. We wouldn't try to stuff down our own experience of pain and suffering, but that we would allow you to meet us where we're at. Lord, that you would bring healing where there needs to be healing, that you would bring revelation where we're stuck. And Lord, where our picture of you is skewed by our own um, misunderstanding, would you bring clarity this morning by your spirit? Open up eyes, unclog ears, soften hearts, and may we leave here this morning more in love with you, Jesus, and more willing to follow you wherever you're leading. So we ask this in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. So although the question is universal, Christianity does offer us a story and a way of thinking, which is expressed and embodied most vividly in the life of Jesus, that can help us make some sense of the world that we live in. One of the goals we share as apprentices of Jesus is to become like Jesus, right? This would require us to learn how Jesus saw the world. So how did he see and make sense of and process and engage with the question of suffering we've been discussing? When I was thinking about this message and reflecting on the suffering I've encountered, I look back and I think in many of those situations, I was left with a question that sounded something like this. How could you let this happen? Or is this really necessary? Or aren't you supposed to be good? Or last but not least, my personal favorite, very sarcastic, are you not seeing this? Are you not seeing this, God? And here's the reality. Jesus himself saw more suffering on a daily basis than I do. And as I read the gospel accounts of Jesus, he never seems to be left with the same questions. He doesn't seem to blame God. He doesn't seem to be shaking his fists to the heavens. Which leaves me with this question. What does Jesus know about suffering that I don't know? And what story does he occupy? For those of us in the room who are human beings, which is all of us, um, we are meaning-making creatures. And what I mean by this is we long for some way to process and understand and make sense of life's events, the relationships therein, and the world around us. And I don't know about you, but this is most desperately felt when, when I'm in, I've encountered suffering. What is the meaning I can make of this pain and loss? Or, or what can I discover in this, suf- this suffering? Or what is there any meaning to this at all? And suffering, of course, is a result of the problem of evil in this world. It's the embodied experience of the realities of evil. The experience of suffering could be emotional, physical, or spiritual in nature. You guys okay? Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to... For integrity's purpose, I'm going to use my own story of suffering here. I don't want to borrow someone else's story. I think it's most helpful to do that. So I'm going to get personal here. This is not to be like a group therapy session. So, um, But I just feel like it makes the most sense to use the story of my mom's passing just to kind of think through the question of suffering. So shortly after my mom died, someone told me in not so many words that God had killed her. That it was his will that my mom died. And I know for the record that this person was doing their best to comfort me and to say the right Christian thing at the right Christian time and in the right Christian way. What they were doing is they were making meaning of my mom's death. They were trying to find meaning there. The meaning they were making was attached to a view of suffering where the story goes something like, God is too good to do evil and too wise to make a mistake. And if that's true, therefore God ordains evil for his greater glory and our greater good. God controls every detail, and this is the best possible outcome given the scenario. He gave permission for this to happen for the purpose of his glory and for our good. So we think about this story this way. God is like Shakespeare to Hamlet. He has written every detail into the fabric of this story. So no matter what, 
that truck would hit my mom's van. You guys following? You guys ever rewatch movies? Yeah, some of us? Do you ever, you know, you've seen a movie a million times, but you're still hoping that the hero doesn't get shot or that she doesn't get on the airplane and she stays and she marries the guy that has always loved her, but tries, you might. Gross, right, Thea? Um, <laughs> the movie, he still gets shot. She still gets on the airplane. The movie follows the script. You know what I mean? So in this perspective, on April 24th, 2020, Rebecca Wolf would be killed in a car accident so that God's glory and greater good could be revealed. So as I tried to rationalize this proposed meaning, I was left feeling like my own emotional pain, hurt, confusion, understanding of God, and suffering in general was something to just be quickly shuffled out of the room. Didn't I know better? God willed it, so deal with it. God is good, and it's good that your mom is gone. He's got the whole world in his hands. And after all, aren't his thoughts higher than mine? Another meaning I wrestled with was God so honored the free will of the driver of the truck that struck my mom that he would not and could not interfere, as this would dishonor the driver's own decision. This story would agree that, yes, of course, the world is broken, but because God has given us moral free will... Humans can make their own decisions, and unfortunately, those decisions often break the world and unleash all sorts of evil and destruction. In summary, God allows us to choose evil for the sake of true loving relationship. In this story, it wasn't God's will that my mom died. His will is that none should perish. However, since we have free will, some of the decisions we'll make will we'll, sorry, some of the decisions we make will result in a perversion of God's will. But God, being ultimately respectful and deferential to our dignity, he stands back and lets our decisions run their course. Each decision we make has its own inherent consequences, either positive or negative, and God respects our dignity enough to let things run their course. But of course, he has a planned response to evil in the person of Jesus, even if we don't know exactly what that response would be. This story left me feeling like maybe God isn't really all-powerful. Or maybe he's just waiting to see how it all shakes out. He's distant, removed, and disengaged, divinely shrugging. Hoping and waiting that this will be another opportunity for all parties involved to turn to him, thus revealing his glory. What if there's another story? What if God did not write in his script for my mom to die in a car crash? What if the young guy who was driving that truck's decision to drive his truck, even though it didn't have functioning brakes, finds its root in an ongoing battle in God's good creation? What if God is at war with evil? What if he is able to overcome evil with good? What if God is loving enough and powerful enough to do good in the midst of the worst of our suffering? You guys may have caught on. I didn't agree with the first two stories. (laughs) It is my conviction, however, that my mom did not have to die in order for God's plan to be accomplished. But she did die. And this, to me, is evidence of Jesus' promise of suffering in this world, which, of course, is the result of humanity's falling for the lie of the enemy and the ensuing rebellion and rejection of God's good rule and reign resulting in the broken world that we all inhabit today. So then, what is God's response? Is my experience, though not always felt, that God's response is to draw near. To find me. To find me and my family in our pain. Though it wasn't always easy or enjoyable. 
and there were many tears and many swear words uttered. I can honestly say I've never felt God's nearness in the ways that I have over the last two years. I've never been able to be more honest with God as I grieved and processed my confusion. Sorry, I did not think I would cry. What I can say honestly is this. God met us in our suffering. And not only that, he began to do something about our suffering. He began to redeem it. So one more recent evidence of God overcoming evil with good in this story would be at the courthouse in my hometown. So a few weeks ago, my dad and my brother Jack actually got to go to the sentencing hearing for the guy who was driving the truck. And um, they were there, they got to look him in the eye, and my dad and my brother, from the, they had to give their victim impact statement. And in that, they said, I forgive you to this guy. But after, this, after the conviction came through and the sentencing hearing and everything, they actually went to the lobby and found the guy. And my dad actually hugged him and looked him in the eye and he said, I forgive you. I forgive you. My brother Jack did the same. My dad grabbed him by the shoulders and said, hey, listen, I believe God can redeem this and use this for good. You're still here. Don't waste your life. I forgive you. So not only does Jesus draw near, this is Jesus doing something about our suffering. God goes after the root and not just the fruit of our suffering. In this story, where there could easily be bitterness, God in his goodness brought forgiveness. Where there could easily be hatred, God brought peace. Where there could be distance or running from God, he brought nearness and he drew very, very close. And where there could have been cheap, trite Christianisms, I swore at God. (laughs) Where there could have been a shallow view of God, he revealed himself as Emmanuel, God with us. And all of these things are evidence of the reversal of the curse of a broken world. Which leads us to Jesus. I'm just going to get a water. Jesus is, of course, the second person of the Trinity, the divine Son. He comes and walks amongst us as the God-man fully God and fully man, revealing to us what God the Father is really like. You see, evil has so distorted our picture and understanding of God that we can easily be deceived into making a meaning out of suffering that isn't true to the God revealed in the face of Christ. So in one story from the Gospel of John, Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, yeah, that Mary and Martha, they're famous, send word to Jesus that their brother is gravely ill. Curiously, Jesus doesn't rush off. He stays put for two more days until Lazarus dies, and then he sets out. Once Jesus arrives, he's met by Martha, who essentially asks the question of anyone suffering. Where were you? Where were you? And shortly after this, Jesus meets Mary, who voices the exact same question. Where were you? So if you guys have your Bibles, let's read on in the story. This is in John chapter 11, uh, verse 33. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. So we'll pick up in verse 33. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. 
But some of them said, Couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus deeply moved, or some translations say deeply angered. Then Jesus, deeply angered and moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they would believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips around his face, wrapped in cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. The word of the Lord. So remember that question in the beginning that I asked, what does Jesus know about suffering that I don't know? What story does he occupy? Notice here, Jesus is not shaking his fists at the heavens. There's no, are you not seeing this? Directed at his father. He is angry at the suffering his friends are experiencing, but he's not angry with God. So it appears to me that the root of all human suffering is not God, but is in fact the enemy. The one who roams about like a lion seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. With whom Jesus is actively engaged in a battle for God's good creation. God is not merely directing the play or divinely shrugging. Jesus, being God, embodies and experiences the depths of human suffering himself, and then he does something about it. In this story, Jesus expresses righteous anger. He is angered at the cause of suffering experienced by Mary, Martha, and the others. But even then, he doesn't just rush off and do something about it, disregarding their feelings in the process. No, he takes the time to come and weep with Mary Martha, and the others. And then he goes and does something about it. You see, Jesus' love is so great that he finds us in our moments of deepest pain, hurt, and confusion, and he sits down and he feels with us. He's weeping with his people. But that's not the end of the story. He doesn't let the enemy or the curse have the final say. He loves us too much to let us suffer alone, and in that place, he comes and finds us and and begins a work to reverse the curse. So in the story of Lazarus, he commands the dead body to come out of the tomb. And Jesus, being God, is sovereign over his creation, so guess what? It happens. Lazarus, who was very recently deceased, walks out of the tomb. It's It's remarkable. So Jesus actually does something about it. It's almost like he's conquered the world. So in thinking about how to apply what we're talking about today to our everyday lives, two things stick out to me from this story. And I want to humbly submit these things to you. And just for the record, guys, I'm not saying I've solved suffering. Like, my theory is the way to go. Um, Many guys who are smarter than me are still arguing about this. But this is just kind of my own experience of God in in the midst of suffering. Okay? No one go get this tattooed on you or something like that. Um, The two things that stick out to me from this story. The first is that there is a deep level of vulnerability in suffering. Uh, We can hear this in the words of Martha as she voices her concern about the smell of her brother. This sounds kind of funny, but just bear with me. Lord, what about the stench? She asks. Our version might sound something like, 
uh, what if this is going to be messier and more visceral than I'm ready for? Uh, should I just deal with this mess on my own? What, like, what if I cry? What if this hurts too much? I don't know how to be honest, God. How do I do this? The good news here is that Jesus isn't put off by the human condition. Remember, he became human, stepping into the deepest, darkest depths of suffering itself. So there isn't anything you've experienced or caused that Jesus is unable to heal from the inside out. He experienced and embodied the worst of it. And here's the, here's the good news. He came through the other side victorious. So just, again, there is a deep level of vulnerability in suffering, but he is here for it. He's not afraid of it. So may we learn to hurt with Jesus honestly. The second thing that stands out to me is the fact that Mary and Martha were grieving with others. They didn't go it alone. They not only reached out and sent word for Jesus, but their community drew close to them in the process. There is a communal element needed to get through life in general, but how much more when we encounter times of intense suffering and pain in our own individual lives. Like when you guys put signs in our front yard and brought us meals and cried with us on the phone. Not only that, but after Jesus calls Lazarus back from the dead, who does he charge to unwrap Lazarus? Them. The others. He's including them in part of the reversal of the curse. The good news here is that as followers of Jesus, we are, inha- we are inhabited by the Spirit of God. We bring the presence of God to others as we weep with those who weep. Jesus, in his goodness and graciousness and maybe his foolishness, includes us in his mission of overcoming evil with good. So may we learn what it means to suffer together. May we begin to see people being unwrapped and set free. I would take a guess that it's very evident to each and every one of us that we will have suffering in this world. But Jesus goes on to charge us to be courageous and to remind us that he has already conquered the world through his life, death, and resurrection. So wherever you may find yourself this morning, whatever suffering you're currently experiencing, Jesus wants to come and weep with you. But not only that, he wants to do something about it. He wants to work his perfect love into the suffering you're walking through. He has entered into our story. He has taken upon himself the result of our bad decisions to ruin his good world and to rebel against his good rule. And through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus wins the war with evil by overcoming it with good. So even in the midst of our suffering, Jesus is willing and able to stare reality in the face with us and to remind us that what, what story our life is unfolding within. A story where Jesus defeats the root of suffering itself and invites us to trust that no matter what comes our way, Jesus is drawing near to weep with us and ultimately to tear up the roots of evil and suffering so we don't have to experience its bitter fruit. So for now, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more suffering or pain or tears. But while we wait, Jesus is with us in our suffering. He is staring reality in the face and he's doing something about it. And to that, I pray you can join me in saying yes and amen. Amen.